cliffcentral.com. All right. It is time for another burning platform on cliffcentral.com. We are here, we are live, and we're ready to take you into the morning, discuss some of the most important things that are going on in society, in the economy, in politics, and in current affairs, the stories that matter to you. We've got two guests joining us this morning, Letiwe Sinodumongosi, who is Youth Capital's network mobilizer. She is a storyteller whose mission it is to amplify voices. She obtained her BA undergraduate degree and a master's in philosophy in African studies from the University of Cape Town. Youth Capital is a youth-led advocacy campaign to reduce youth unemployment. And if there's ever a cause that we need to get behind it is youth unemployment. Right, Pumi? And Youth Capital is one of the accounts I follow Absolutely. On Twitter. I'm so happy she's going to be here. Well, Letiwe, you see, we're already excited to talk to you and we haven't even said anything <laughs> to you yet. Nice to have you on the show. I'm loving it. Thank <laughs> you so much for having me. What a pleasure. It's great to have you. All right. Let's also talk to Zimasa. Um, and we're going to talk to Zimasa Vabaza, who also wants to tell us about the township economy, which is something which uh, I think we're all interested in, but we don't always know where the best sources of information might be. Um, also, we're going to look at small businesses in South Africa. And Zimasa, it's very good to have you on the show this morning. How are you doing? I'm awesome, Gareth. How are you? Very, very good. We've got a bunch of things to talk to you guys about. Uh, where should we begin? Um, maybe let's talk about some of the things that people think the youth of South Africa are and the, think the youth of South Africa want where they actually might be wrong. And I'll let you start with this, uh, Letiwe, because there are lots and lots of misconceptions out there. You know, young people, yeah. young people are lazy, young people are entitled, young people want this and want that and they think everything's easy. And you hear a lot of um, Gen Xs and older people saying, oh, well, I wanted to give uh, the, the Gen Z guy a chance but he wanted to be ceo <laughs> in his you know walk into the he job. wants the corner office <laughs> <laughs> so what are these and wants mis- to knock off at five yeah what are these misconceptions and what do you get most annoyed with hearing especially in the media we know the media play a huge role in misrepresenting and sometimes just talking about these things because they feel they have to they pay lip service to it but they don't really right. they don't really care about this i mean you you pointed a very prevalent one which is the idea that young people are lazy Mm. that they're not willing to work um and that's a misconception because what work looks like for young people may not be the same as former generations you know we're seeing how the world of work is evolving and young people are very much interested in in that evolution they're very much interested in innovating Mm. um and really reconfiguring what work looks like so to simply say young people are lazy um is short-sightedness in my opinion. Um, another misconception that I've, I've seen and heard is, you know, um, young people need to be seen, not heard. It's, there's almost like a tokenistic, um, opinion that, that people have when it comes to young people. Um, so their voices are not given enough airtime. Um, it's like just come and say one or two things, but they're not given the chance to shape solutions, drawing from the experience and from my interactions with young people, hearing their lived experience. I've heard them point at what solutions are needed. You know, when you talk, for example, when you talk about, um, the issue of youth unemployment, one hurdle that young people face is the cost of looking for work. And when I speak to young people about 
that challenge and they share the experience, one of the solutions that the experience points to is that opportunities should be closer to young people. So instead of a young person having to catch two taxis to go and find an opportunity, opportunities should actually exist close to where they stay. So, um, yeah, just like giving young people enough voice so that they can share the experience and, and the solutions that are embedded um, in, in the experience is is one of the misconceptions that I've seen. And, and, and it's it's actually, it's, is, it's sad. It's, is, it's yeah, it, it puts us on, I mean, on, it puts us in a very disadvantageous position. I, I just, I hear a lot of this and, and it makes me think that, that some of the conversations sound very academic and they don't sound very realistic. I mean, we're talking about how things should, could, would, almost like there's a utopian ideal we're, we're, we're working towards in a, in a country where the realities are just goddamned impossible. Like the cost of fuel, the cost of, of, um, of, of transport as a result of the cost of fuel. Uh, you say opportunities should exist closer to people, but I mean, the, the real opportunities exist in the cities. There aren't a lot of opportunities in rural areas. There aren't a lot of op- opportunities in in far flung parts of the country. And this is also why I'm thrilled to have um, Zimasa with us this morning, because when we talk about the township economy, we're not talking about some disorganized, tangled mess mm. like it might have been 20, 30 years ago. We're talking about a very efficient machine for finding value. Um, you know, people's money is stretched super thin. Uh, people are looking for products from all over the world. They're looking for very particular things. Pumi was saying at the beginning of the show, and we made a bit of a joke about it, but that she took her phone to be fixed at the Oriental Plaza by a guy called Bilal. And this guy managed to get everything working, water damage, te- you know, turned the other way around. She got her phone back. It worked. She got all of her pictures that she sh- thought she'd lost. These are the kind of people who bring in skills, and of course Bilal's not from here, he's from Zimbabwe. Look, and Bilal, this is the thing about Bilal, is he also told me, because I asked him, where did you learn how to do this? And he said, right here in South Africa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, he, <laughs> so but, but, he, but you know, he didn't come with the skill. But people will say, he learned we, it here. we know xenophobic people will say, Pumi, that he he's basically taking someone else's job, even though he performed a service for you, which you and I agreed you'd pay 20 times what he charged you to have done. So there are, there are interesting people doing interesting things all over the place. And really, Zimasa, based on what you heard Litiwe say, yeah. what, what are your thoughts on, on the township economies and the small businesses that people are creating? Um, I, think, I think what is quite interesting for me is that when I sort of kind of started doing my, a little bit of my desktop research, um, I re- started realizing, firstly, how, how, how big it is right, from a macroeconomic perspective. And actually, no one actually has the correct numbers. It's all just educated guesses. Now, that starts becoming a bit of an issue in terms of how do we go in and start assisting it. And from some of the stuff that I, I started posting on, on the socials and on, on like TikTok and stuff like that, a lot of people started responding. And what I found quite quite weird around South Africans was, how a lot of the comments were around the fact that, yeah, but it's not taxed. And, 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 and I found that to be a very sort of middle class looking down on um, the, the township economy slash informal economy. And for me, that was kind of weird because I think that it also comes back to a lot of education around sort of like economics and how the country actually works and what it will actually take. Yes, at a very high level, everyone disagrees around how do we get things done. 
but the people at the bottom don't necessarily need more ideas they need action but also who 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 these people are so worried about tax i mean jesus don't the government take enough money (laughs) from really i mean everybody's paying that uh you know a lot of people are paying a a huge amount of personal income tax we pay company tax yeah we pay for using the roads with e-tolls we pay a fuel levy we're being taxed to the nth degree no matter who we are in south africa who are these people are so worried about tax in the township economy and why should we so listen think, to them? why should I, we listen to them? <laughs> I think Gareth, it's more around people that believe that the township economy is getting a free ride. And what they actually don't understand is that in terms of capital output for anybody in the township who's trying to start a business, it's actually a higher percentage of their net worth than somebody who's in the middle class or in the upper classes. So these are people that are taking a bigger risk relative to their net worth than anybody else within the the, the, the old way or LSMs. Um, and a lot of those people are actually using that um, on a day-to-day basis. A simple example, let's say there's a lady who's selling um, amakuinya, like Fed cooks, mm. and she's she literally will make decent cash. And most people who are from, let's say, middle class and upper class, they'll say, why doesn't she scale her business? Oh, and I'm like... But do you realize like how much of the capital that she uses to actually get the business started she has to put back in today still to try and get um to try and get sort of like the ingredients to make it for tomorrow there there is no this isn't about like people not working hard enough that lady will wake up at three o'clock to be ready to start serving the taxi drivers and people going off to work before anybody else so I think the question is what what mechanisms can we start putting in? for people to actually grow. And these, are, these aren't these are even uh, sort of grants. People want like 50,000 Rand and, and above and 100,000 Rand for small business grants. When um, the people that need to be supported, whether in through voucher systems, uh, knowing that if you're in a food or a catering business as a lady who makes um, food in food trailers for, for general public going to work or whatever, you know that there's a way that you can open up ways of whether that's small credit, like that 200 Rand from like a pick and pay. That's how the formalized economy can actually support those people and start for their wins, start channeling everybody who either makes fit cooks, who makes those uh, food trailer plates that, that cost 50 bucks and are shared by construction workers. That's how we kind of start. Hmm. And then by helping those people, you will then have formalized it and then you'll be able to kind of track and say, okay, this is what what's actually happening. This is a quantum of what's happening in the township economy. And then from there, we can say, how do we assist it? And then ultimately, how do we include it in the overall sort of GDP calculations and projections that the country has? Because you've got some things as sizable as supposedly 300 billion rand every year being produced in the township. You've got to start finding ways of including that in our in our sort of metrics of how we want to grow as a country. And the other issue is that we don't have an economic plan as South Africa. Nobody can tell me that this is our strategy. Nobody can tell me that this was a strategy. You know, government has all these plans, but I want to know what is this? What is the actual strategy for the economy? Just okay. the economy. And what are the steps we want to take? Uh, Pums, where do you want to go with this? Because we, we, we want to cover as much ground as possible this morning. I mean, we, we <laughs> you know, so there's a lot to talk about here. But I, I'm extremely interested in in the solutions so yeah there's there's no plan there's no scaling there is lots of complaining but from the experience that you have and what you've seen what are the solutions that nobody else is seeing share that with us i think 
what, one of the things I was actually thinking about, right, and this is something that obviously is somewhere in the works in the back of my mind. The first thing is a, an, a repository of free business startup documents that anybody can use. Like, I think that's, everyone kind of looks, looks away from that. I've got a friend who's, who's, currently, um, who's currently applying for funding uh, from, I think it's uh, NEF or CIFA. And they're looking to start a fish and chip company, right? Mm. They're like a fish and chip uh, franchise. And the hardest thing, it was easier for him, right? Because uh, of, I'd say, he's, you, you wouldn't say he's previously disadvantaged. He's a black guy, but his dad is a, is a high up, et cetera, et cetera. But he found it quite hard to get a lot of the stuff put together. For something as simple as saying, here's a really great opportunity, um, Eskanga in KZN, Northern KZN, where they don't have this particular, this particular shop, it's a fish and chip company, found the people, he's spoken to them. Now he needs to put together the documents to send to uh, uh, Fish and Chip Co or King Pie or whatever. It was actually so tough for, considering that he needed so much assistance from people uh, relative to him getting this thing right. And obviously the company's got to have its checks and balances. CIFA's got to have checks and balances because they can't just give people um, anything willy-nilly. But at the end of all of this, he actually got to a point where he had been approved by CIFA. And then the company said, no, you need to have 200,000 rand of your own money. And I was stunned because he's fully funded. He's passed everything. And that was just, a, that's a middle-class guy or upper middle-class guy who's actually received funding or approval for funding, pre-approval, and he still couldn't actually get the business over the line because of how structurally everything is. So the first thing I would say is you want to create, whether that's a parallel structure for micro-businesses, that actually works. And now what that means is that if somebody wants to get into a particular business, you've got to start incentivizing those particular businesses and you've got to start group, um, you've got to almost structurally force. So for instance, everyone says tech shops, Sorry, I don't agree with this idea that you yeah. need to incentivize business. Business is about the incentive of profit. You don't need to incentivize anyone. It's not like they need extra motivation. They need Tony Robbins hopping on their you know, Microsoft Teams meetings <laughs> saying, guys, you need an incentive to be in business. You're in business because, A, you need to survive, and, B, you want to make a profit. Those are enough incentives, don't you think? Maybe, maybe I'm saying incentive wrong. Maybe I'm saying we need to oil the, the engine a lot more so that it, it's quicker to get it up the hill. I have something different, though. I I have a different view on that, right? Okay. So the truth is that, the truth is that it's not being done and it's not going to get done. In order to make that kind of a change, you need to be in a position of power, right? You need to be in government. You need to be in the department. You need, that's what you need. And we know that those guys don't care. We know Mm -hmm. that we are here. So there's no point in kind of bitching about that. Is in this environment that we are in, how do we play through this environment to score the goals, to win? You know, I think one of the things that I find is quite fascinating to to experience and watch is how easy it is to to kind of go, you know, they they don't do this, we don't have a plan, they, they, they. Right? As I'm kind of going, okay, so in this environment, great idea. Maybe we need a, uh, 
a repository that's got access to all of these documents for young people to get going. There's an opportunity for you and what you do to create that repository. So outside of somebody over there in government or whatever needs to do that, there's an opportunity to do what you do. And this is, you know, one of the things that I really appreciate when I see the work that New Capital is doing as well, is over and above the research is kind of also giving resource and opportunity to young people. But you've got to know where to look. Right? Yeah. Let's and one of the things that... Yes. Okay. Sorry, I just want to bring Letiwe in, and she's she's gone all the way to yeah. the studio, and she's so far said the least. <laughs> go, go ahead. Oh no, no. I just um I want to just share a few you know comments on what has been shared thus far. Um, you know, to Samasa's point about how we can support players in the informal sector. I think um. And also to your point as well, Pumi, about what can we do now and not point fingers at the powers that be and what they need to do for us. I think in, in finding solutions, I, I will stress this throughout our conversation, it's important to involve those that are um, that we're trying to support in, in them shaping what kind of support they need. So even with, uh, um, what support does she need to grow her business and what does growth look for her? And, and when we figure that out, then we can support her accordingly. Um, if it, if growth looks like, um, her working with a group of other women at a taxi rank. So from North to Brie, um, having other women supporting her in her business. If that's what growth looks like for her, then as, as the general public, we can channel our resources, our efforts in making sure that we're able to achieve the, her idea of what growth looks like. Um, but, but can I, can so I, I just, can to... I just say at this point, like you support her yeah. by buying her stuff. That there's this idea that like we need to someone needs to come in and hold her hand or give her cash or you know the fact is if she's selling something of value the support that you give her is by supporting her business and I would rather do that in many cases than go to the supermarket and buy straight from them exactly right exactly yeah absolutely and that's what I'm saying like even in so if 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 her idea of growth I mean I I've just painted a picture of her maybe wanting to almost franchise her business where she has other women selling I'm not going in other taxi ranks <laughs> but that maybe that might not be the case for her it's just about increasing a customer base um and and so therefore we can then just simply support her business by buying from her I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about young people and what we what some of us older people, um, let's say, you said, you're not that old for me. I, trust me, I am. <laughs> trust me, I am. I feel it every day. <laughs> I myself. And what was that word, Gareth? Uh, Innovate. Innovating. <laughs> you, you feel, you'll feel your job I is myself innovating. innovating. No, truly. I, you know, we, we have a project that we're working on. And on Monday, why I was in KZN is it was the, the, the initiation of the construction part of this project. And we have brought on board 10 young people from this village that we're working with that are going to be part of the construction team and they're going to get trained up. They've never, none of them have ever worked a day in their lives. They're in their twenties and mm -hmm. have never worked a day in their lives. Mm -hmm. And on the first day, <laughs> Right, they were given ample time. This is the time to be there. This is when the 
construction foreman is going to be here to give the first instructions, get the uniform and the PPE, hana hana. And one of them doesn't show up. Mm. <laughs> no, like it's in their village. It's a walking distance from home. There's no transportation costs. There's like there was nothing else other than the fact that when we said we needed 10 young people, they said, these are the 10 young people. We said, great, just show up on this day. No kind of, I can't be there on that day because mm. I have to, whatever. Nothing, just doesn't show up. And it was fascinating for me at that moment when I then decided that, okay, let's find, let's find somebody to replace her with. How all the other young people are like, let's give her a chance. I'm like, I don't have time for that, right? Mm. If on day one, she cannot show up on time at the appointed place, how can I trust that on day 15, she will arrive. Mm. And this is, mm. you know, these are the issues. I work with a lot of young people. These are the issues right. that we face, right? What, what is that? What's that lived experience about from your experience? Alison, it's, it's definitely layered. Um, it's absolutely, I mean, the many factors that can explain the reason for that young person not showing up um, or on time. Anybody. Or telling anybody, right? Um, so I don't want to give a blanket response that, you know, explains her, her behavior. But from my experience, um, you know, looking for employment, and, and I'm going to say this with the caution. I don't want to make mental health. It's okay. There's no right around. Right? No, 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 and I know this, but I, I'm not trying to say, you know, um, Many young people are discouraged to job seekers. And even when they find opportunities, by the time they find opportunities, um, they, they, there's a lot of challenges that they experience in terms of their mental health that makes them feel not confident to actually even go forth and, and seize the opportunity. So I say that I think that's partly why, but at the same time, as I said in the beginning, I'm not trying to make, um, mental health challenges the scapegoat for why young people you know conduct themselves in the way they do but i think what would be best when when offering my my two cents is offering young people opportunities through an organization that they are a part of kind of mitigates that happening and why i say that is because especially if an organization provides a holistic program for the young young person um teaching them about job readiness how to conduct themselves in the world of work because also another thing to say is that many young people may come from households where they've not had good role models um that have shown them on how to show up on time and the, and the value of doing that and what that can do for you accessing future opportunities and giving you a good reference letter so we've become too soft have we become too soft? I actually have a, a very interesting sort of take as well. Look, for me, what I've realized is that <clears throat> my cousin, right, in the Eastern Cape uh, at Timbaza, he got, uh, he was part of a co-op that got funding <clears throat> from uh, obviously the municipality to start um, a hydroponic uh, tomato operation. Now, when it first started, he was obviously the one who was driving it, but because of sort of like the funding models, he had to be the person who kind of gets other people to come on board. Because he was like, I've got this business plan, but they'll only give it to me if I'm part of a co-op. So, okay, he goes and finds people in the community, blah, blah, that's fine. He gets another, like four people, because I think they need to be five in the co-op or whatever. They start the operation. Obviously, there's other things on the side. Government, they inflated the thing. It was like, it was 4 million funding, 2 million was for the actual sort of like project. 
and two million was used for like the celebrations of opening the project but that's another story <laughs> let's talk about the actual business so um they start the business it runs for the first year now these guys started producing around uh two tons of tomatoes per greenhouse per month and but it took some time for them to get there maybe around six months when they get to that volume now two tons is a lot it's two it's like four thousand it's like four thousand kilograms per month right and now they're making a little bit of money a little bit of chunk of change now they've got to sit in this co-op community um sort of like committee and actually cut this thing up and that's when you start realizing that people's priorities are also quite they're quite jaded we don't want everyone to be an entrepreneur we want the right people to be an entrepreneur and it's only the ones that, that ultimately <clears throat> rise to the top through a a testing but like also frictionless if that makes sense process because when they suddenly got to the point where they're making money they then could not actually uh, allocate the capital and the revenue that was coming correctly in order to sustain the business to buy a bucket to buy all these things because people were like but like let's pay ourselves let's like we're, we're making like we could pay ourselves like 15k each now because we're making a decent amount of change. We're, su- we're supplying the local pick and pay. We're supplying the local in, um, uh, informal economies around two or three sort of villages and, and the township. So it was, it's also at that scale where you have to understand that, yes, the mindset thing is there, but maybe the conversation is around how do we get, how do we support the right people? And I know that's such an open-ended question, <laughs> but how do we support the right people in the right way by also kind of limiting the amount of, like you, I don't know. Maybe it's, <laughs> you know, you know, guys. So I'm, I'm, I'm very excited. I am very excited to have yeah. in studio with us people who work with with this cohort of people all the time. Yeah, because I'm 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 hoping that there are insights that you can share with us about what we get wrong and what we don't see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, on social media, see young people complain, and you, you spoke earlier a little about um, mental health. I get that. But I also look back, and that's why I asked the question, have we become too soft? Mm-hmm. Because the reality is, and this is uh, Zimasa, some of what you're talking about is really about the fact that there is no life experience. Among those five young people, there is no life experience. Therefore, they are unable to see on the other side of, of from where they are, right? They're unable to mm. see it because there's just no life experience. They don't know that this is short-termism and all of that kind of stuff. But I, I think, you know, when I, <laughs> when, when I had my first real job after getting my first degree, my boss used to make, she taught me how to make her coffee, right? Mm. And she said, you have to bring a notebook with you because you must take notes of all the things that you see and learn that I knew and whatever. Y'all, I tell you, I made coffee for that woman every day for a good month and took notes and did nothing else. Asked questions that made coffee and her view. And I get it and I, and I appreciate it. But if I cannot trust you to make me a good cup of coffee once a day in the morning, how can I trust you with any bigger responsibility? I get that, right? Do that to a young person today. What? You will, you, they will not show up for day three of that and, job and, and, because they're just like, 
not what I'm here for. And guys, put, put me and put me and I are both small business owners, and it's really it's hard being a small business owner. And you know, you were saying things about the the middle class earlier, Zimasa, and I know what you mean. What you mean is that. Mm. Our economy isn't fair and it isn't uh, a place of equity. It's never going to be. I mean, that's all like you talk. The world's talking. not fair. The world's not fair. Where? Mm. You know, I always say to people, where, when they complain about this stuff? Because nobody's, nobody's interested in someone's pain or someone's uh, hard, hard life. Or, you know, everybody, if you sit down and talk to them long enough, they've got a sick gran or they've got some problem with their teeth or, you know, they've, they've got a sore back or they've never really had the clothes that they've always wanted or, or even more serious problems than those. Everybody's got problems. The fact is I, I don't want to hear and nobody in business is interested in hearing someone's sub story. We've had, mm. we've had so many reasons in this country to blame government, to blame our parents, to blame resources, the lack of resources, uh, inequality, all of these things. In essence, though, business is about I'm going to give you something. If it's valuable to you, you'll pay me, whether it's a service or a product. And in return, you know, you have to either give me the money that I demand or I will sell it to someone else. It's all a very voluntary occupation. It's all the, 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 the basic idea of the free market. And this is how it works. So when, you know, with all the love in the world, Latiwa, when you're talking about like mental health and how young people are having right. a tough time. No one in business gives a shit. They'd rather hire someone who doesn't have mental health issues because then they can make their business more efficient. That's just an ugly truth. It's the way that the world's always worked. If you need soldiers for war, you don't go to the place where people are crying and they're unhappy and they're weak and they haven't done any physical exercise. You draw them from yeah. the places where they are strong. They have physical exercise. They're able to wield a weapon. That's how it's always worked. And unfortunately, there are going to be people left behind. And if the excuse is, well, you know, I didn't have anything when I was growing up or I've got mental health issues, all of that's valid and I hear you. But businesses are not therapists and businesses are not social workers and businesses are not replacement mothers and fathers. Yeah. No, and I, and I, and I, I completely understand where you're coming from, um, Gareth, that business is in the business of, um, you know, Making generating profit. profit. Yeah. And, and, and so the, the, the time to, mentor a young person or to handhold a young person they may not have and like i get where you're coming from and you say that and so in my mind as you say that i think what it points to then is what role do existing organizations and i i saw one of um the viewers make a point about the fact that there's so many programs and maybe we need to evaluate that and say um are we duplicating programs and if so can we re re-examine that but um i think there needs to be programs then that equip young people and ensure that they are ready for the world of work so that by the time they work for Gareth or Pumi, um, they are ready to do what they are required to do. But what does that mean? What, what is practically, what does it mean? Ensure they are ready for the world of work. We, we all work and we all came through the school system as it currently is and got through whatever degrees and Gareth and I are both lucky in that we, we got uh, we had the higher education to be able to get degrees and all of that. Well, I never got, I yeah, never but, got mine, but you know. <laughs> what, what does that, what does that even mean? Like ensure that they're ready. This and this is why I'm saying, have we become soft? Is because well, the school we, we, system we, is the school system. Me, I mean, I don't want to sound like you and I are the old people here, but we are. Okay, so the reality is, we're going to sit here and say. <laughs> No one, no one's ready for the world of work. Work is damn difficult. No one wants to do it. That's why it's called work. Otherwise, it'd be called fun. 
And no one wants to be the CEO because you have to take all the risks. You have to decide, I'm going to take my own money, put it into this thing. Hopefully it works. None of the staff are going to take that risk. They're going to get paid. But as a result of me taking the risk, I will reap the most reward from it. And if we all do well, obviously, then everyone will get profit share and the company will grow and blah, blah, blah. And there'll be more opportunities. But I don't like this idea that you need to be ready for work. I mean, adolescence, you know, people used to start working at 12 years old. And in some households, they do already. You know, there are places in rural South Africa, you guys all know this, where the granny is running everything because the parents may not be there. They may, they may have... They may have, uh, have died. They may have been working outside of where they grew up. There are lots of those social pressures that we have to deal with. But some of those kids are growing the vegetables. They're doing the household chores. They are looking after the, the, the livestock. They're looking after their younger siblings. That's work. And if they can do it at 6, 12, 15 years old, what the hell is a 25-year-old still doing sitting on their hands? I'll take Tricky. another rhetorical Tricky. statement. I think what, I, what I'm also sensing from some of the comments is that uh, someone, someone was like, South Africa is a nanny state. And, and obviously, we don't, we don't want to baby people. We want to enable people. So maybe our definition of what it, is, what it means to assist the economy is too broad. And we actually need action items to say, okay, what we're doing is that this is, for instance, right, there was what really made me angry was the conversation around sort of like black industrialists and, and how they were going to be funded, blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And it was such rhetoric that I got to a point where I was like, oh, oh hold on, hold I was maybe a little bit starting to drink the Kool-Aid. Then I took a step back and I said, wait, 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 wait sorry, what does this actually mean? And who's going to look after it? And what are the KPIs? And how do we measure success? Like, no one actually ever asked that. Like, how, do we, how are we going to measure the success? Are we saying we're going to grow 50 million rand a year revenue businesses to half a billion over the next five years? But how are we going to support them? Does that make sense? How? And also, I, get, I tend to also become a little bit sort of like antagonistic when it comes to bureaucracy. I, I have a very sort of like contrarian view that we need, yes, we need less government, but we need government in the right places to... Uh, to offer things like protections into certain industries, like what they've done for chick- for the chicken industry and stuff like that, and and obviously there's a lot of pushback because a lot of money make make a lot of people make a lot of money from bringing stuff into the country, and we're happy for them, yay! But I don't. There's certain things that a country should be able to produce on its own, um, and those those things should be should be what governments should be what government brings in. If we have a shortage of uh, sort of like nutrients for people that are chicken farmers. That's what government should be bringing in, in bulk uh, in its ways, whether it's using sort of state-owned enterprises or whatever. And then people should be buying from government less tax so that we can have our own chickens. There's people's, there's, there are people that have, that have the right jobs and they're not doing the work that they should be doing, which is to look after the macroeconomics so that people that are in the small business space can actually work a little bit better to provide the things that we need without us having to look outside. And I'm going to say this wrong with that model right now. Zimaza, this is one of my favorite things to say. You're new on the show, so you're hearing it for the first time. Okay, I think one of the things. No, one of the things that that as we have done, all of us as South Africans, is relegated our power 
to all of these people. This, you know, we, we started out and you were talking to us about township economies, right? And that right there is a market for people, right? And I, once upon a time, long ago, my parents used to sell chickens. My mom's afraid of chickens. I had to be the person catching the chickens for the people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But, but, but the, the thing is, there, there was a, a time, and at the risk of sounding like separate development, right? But we, we are now at a place where we are clear we are on our own as small businesses, as individuals, and really and truly, the help is not coming from somewhere out there. And so it's, it's looking at these ecosystems in the environments that we are in and saying, how do we make this happen? How do we make this work? The guy selling chickens or imbuzi at the side of the corner is not getting nutrients for that mbuzi from somebody in the department of Ndondo, right? And yet there is an ecosystem working. And and for me, I, I really hope and wish that there is a way in the organizations that you are in that we can plug young people into yeah. that understanding. The help's not coming. Guys, young people need to, to recognize and realize that nobody is out here interested in empowering them. Nobody is out here interested in listening to their needs and therefore responding appropriately to those. Nobody's doing that. Who's, who's doing that? Cyril and his red tape oh, yeah. guy. Cyril and his red tape guy. The man's got 64 million rands in his, like, bedroom under his bed he is not it's not listening so here's an and, interesting thing sorry i, I yeah. just want to i just want to also add something that that i want you to maybe like uh to get your input on uh so i have a really weird association with sort of like uh, uh the big the basic in, income grants mm. and how they clash with uh how they clash with the idea of a minimum wage and general labor laws in this country relative to remuneration of workers. We're saying that we, as a country, you can't pay somebody below a certain wage. Sure, people don't have jobs, but you're paying them almost 10 times less than what the minimum wage is. I, I don't know where it stands out. I think it's like 3,500 Rand. But you're paying them 10 times less to be like, okay, mama yiso, like just, just get to next month, got 350. But if somebody said, I want to actually employ... 10 people at, I don't know, 2,000 rand to mm. do no, then uh, it's basic work. Yeah. We would then say to ourselves, okay, cool, but like, that's not, that's not ethical. Like no. society would say that's not ethical. I, I, uh, I just, but I, at the same time, we're saying, we're complaining as the middle class about people that are getting paid 350. We're like, but they're not, they don't do anything. I, I am really impressed that there are people doing what the two of you are doing. And I also understand Pumi's frustration with kind of how things work. But, but the basic economics, and again, we don't have too much of an understanding of this in South Africa because we're so busy teaching people stuff they don't need to know in basic education and in tertiary education. And I can see, you know, um, in this case, Letu is looking at me like, mm, what, wh where are we going with this? But here's the thing. It's like economics. <laughs> no, I'm agreeing a, with you, Gareth. I, 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 you know, I, there's a if, mismatch in what is being taught. No, but, what, yeah. but, absolutely. But, but even if you didn't agree with me, that would still be fine. The fact is the economy is a very complicated machine. The free market is the most complicated computer we have ever built. You put in things on this side and people on the other side will buy those things if the price is right. And every person in the economy helps decide what that price is. 
You cannot top-down make this thing work. You cannot create policies to make this thing work. The more you leave it alone, and this is where I think, you know, Zimasa and I are probably going to agree the most, the more you leave that alone for people to do it, and this is what we've learned from the township economy, if nothing else, is that people will find a way, and people have a survival instinct, and people are naturally entrepreneurial, not because... They have great ideas and they know how, how they can get hold of Elon Musk on their phone. It's because they need to survive from day to day. And they realize, I can do this. I can cut grass. I can make food. I can wash cars. I can uh, clean someone else's house for them. I can do whatever it is that I can fill a gap in the economy for that someone will be prepared to pay me for. And I can be the best at that so I can earn the most money for it. And it's not glamorous. The economy is not a glamorous thing. It's basically down to survival for most people. But it's a great system. It works because everyone has got an input and everyone gets an output if it works properly. The only thing that gets in the way is government, policies, and a lot of the stuff that we've been talking about that is on the outside of the economy. Basically, it's service provision, me and you. We don't need a whole lot more. Uh, I've... um... I have another take on it, right? And and it's one of the I think it's one of the points that I'd sent through. There's there's a glass ceiling for people to kind of like uh for young people to get into positions of real influence. And yes, it's I called experience. Like, yes, but but now we're using that said experience as a barrier for people. For instance, whether it was a Trevor Manuel or a Tito Mboweni or a Lindu Sisulu at 40 years old getting a position of influence, they now see a 40-year-old who has worked in corporate South Africa from the age of 25, 15 years experience, as somebody who's still got to wait to be a, a DDG or a DG. So you still got to wait, but you've got 15 years of corporate experience. You've shown that you can do it. Now, maybe that's human nature. Maybe that's protectionism. Maybe that's internally looking at yourself to say, I've got to make, I, I as the person, I've got to keep everyone at bay. We've got young people complaining about uh, certain, certain babas and mamas who work at home affairs who can't even send WhatsApps. And they'll tell you the system is offline when it's actually working because they don't want to work, right? And this is where we've arrived at. Maybe it's very Soviet union of us right now that we want to keep people in jobs that are actually not as effective. Government has shown consistently that they are a terrible allocator of resources, yet we still yet we still purposefully kind of like, yes, look to them, but kind of go with cap in hand to them for a lot of stuff. And I, I agree with you, Pumi. Like there's it's such a it's it's such a conundrum to say we need your help, but yes, it's also you. You're a terrible person. Because <laughs> technical government is is the formation of who we think should be leading us as a people. And if we keep kind of like voting for the same inept people, we're going to get the same result. And it's so frustrating because I've started multiple businesses, right? I never... Steve, Nico had a term for that. Yeah? Steve, Nico had a term for that. It's called acquired self-helplessness. Hectic. Hmm. Hectic. Yeah. Because we actually go and find it ourselves. And it's, it's so tricky, but but, but this is where we find ourselves. I've bootstrapped a lot of companies, uh, well, three or four companies. And most of the time, I could have easily decided I wanted to do the shiny thing. And, and maybe I did, going into sort of like digital marketing, et cetera, and all of those, those type of things. But at the time when I started, which was 2012, 2013, nobody was doing it. So we had to chart a new way. 
Now I sit back and I say, okay, cool. Now we found an economy, a di- the, the marketing digital economy around sort of like influencing as a platform, etc., has now kind of matured. Now we've got to look for the next thing. And I decided for me in my life that I wanted to go back to the Eastern Cape, right? Because I had required enough services and experience in Joburg. I want to go back to Eastern Cape and do farming, literally, mm-hmm. and buy actual land and start farming chickens, pigs, cabbages. Because I started realizing and doing the numbers behind it, and I said, if people aren't doing this thing correctly, there's actual millions in this thing as a small-scale farmer. Yes, obviously, every business has downsides. But when you look at it on the balance of probabilities, you're actually better off having this piece of or this asset because a lot of people have kind of like my age, which is like around 35, have encumbered themselves long-term. They've bought houses in, in Joburg, Cape Town, Durban, and they've They've basically said, I'm sorry. Some people are the Zimasa. I'm, so, I'm Zimasa. Yeah. Zimasa, but okay. So, so that's, you know, now you're talking about action, right? You're talking about, you sat down, you thought about something, you came up with a plan and, and action, acting on it, yeah. right? Which is, I think, a good place to, to say, let's see where you talked to us and, and some of the things that you wanted to talk to us about was an action plan, a youth capital action plan. Share yes. a little bit of that with us. What is that action plan? What are the things that must be done? So, so, so okay, I, sorry. Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's see where you go. Um, so youth capital's action plan really charts the journey of a young person from when they're still in education and it charts the roadblocks that they face along the path from learning to earning um, and it points out what action needs to be taken to remove those roadblocks. So for instance, when it comes to education, we need to make sure that young people are certified because we know that a certificate is important for a young person to signal to an employer that they are employable. Um, you know, earlier we talked about finding the right person for the job and having a certificate can be one indicator that you are the right person for the job. Um, and then another roadblock. Hold up. Certified meeting what? Like go to the post. No, no, no. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for asking me to clarify. So when we're talking about an actual certificate, so being certified in the sense that you have um, obtained a certificate that Credentials. says you have... Yeah. Credentials, yeah. yeah. So you have a Okay, so that is the parent's says, job. No, no, and it so is you, the young person's job well, to make sure yeah, that you go to school and school get an education. Get a, that's the young also, person's job. That's the young person, but also um, those in their, in their support system can support them in ensuring that they do get the certificate. Not hand-holding, not being mm. too soft on them, but reminding them of the importance of getting a certificate. And then okay. also another, another uh, call to action in the action plan looks at um, the need to reduce the cost of living. And I know that, you know, in the world that we live in, it's not an utopian world and we need to be realistic about what we strive to achieve. But there are little things that we can do to reduce the cost of looking for work. And so under the call to action, um, make job seeking affordable, we are saying that other means can be used for young people to be recruited. For, in- for instance, WhatsApp can be used. WhatsApp bots can be used for a young person to submit their CV as opposed to needing to catch a taxi, print a CV and submit it. Well, um, and then also, 
And I, then I, last, the last part of the action plan, sorry, Gareth, the last part of the action plan looks at um, how can opportunities, the few that do exist, act as stepping stones for young people, um, and also how can we make the experience and people gain from those opportunities meaningful experience that can help them access future opportunities. You're about to say something, Gareth? No, I wanted you to just explain, because Youth Capital is doing a documentary on Youth Day, and I wanted you to just give a plug to this, because I think there may be many people Absolutely. who are interested in this. And then I do want us to just touch on a few other subjects that are going on at the moment yeah. in, in politics. I mean, we don't want to just talk youth unemployment for the whole hour, much as it deserves more Absolutely. than that. Um, so tell me about the documentary and then we can, we can bring in some other things. Absolutely. So the documentary is titled um, I've Been Trying Eight Years Without a Job and it follows um, a couple of young people who share their experience of looking for work, what challenges they've experienced and what solutions they believe are needed to address those challenges. We will be launching the documentary next week, Thursday. There's an online launch. Um, if you go onto our Twitter account, Youth Capital SA, you'll find the link to register. Um, the online launch will happen between 5 and 6 p.m. Excellent stuff. I mean, that's a that's a that's a real um, achievement, and congratulations for doing that. It must have been hard work following these people for that long, especially because they couldn't find any hard work, and it's very very difficult to show the stories of what people are actually going through if you don't get into their Absolutely. own shoes. All right, so uh, ladies and gents, let's just talk for a moment about some of the things going on. Should we be interested in Cyril's millions that he had on his game farm, or is this a distraction from the RET element in the ANC? I think everybody wants to know because now suddenly he's being asked to account for himself in Parliament. Suddenly there are people at the National Prosecuting Authority and the Public Protector talking about what they should do about him. What do we feel is going on here? I know, Zimasa, you keep on top of these things. What's your opinion? Um, I think, look, I think uh, uh, both, both angles can be correct at the same time. Um, I think that there's obviously a chain of events uh, that we need to understand are going to start materializing this year because of the ANC election at the end of the year. So obviously they've started sort of politicking, right? They've started maneuvering things. But at the same time, I think we need to, we need to just be sure. If you're saying, okay, cool, this, uh, this was, um, this was game revenue, et cetera, et cetera. Prove it to us, right? But also, yeah, we do know that the, the big four accounting firms are a bit tricky. But at the end of the day, we need to be sure that somebody of uh, that holds that office is somebody who we can feel comfortable and, and trust. So both both things, Gareth, can be true at the exact same time, that we, we need to be – it is a distraction, right? But at the same time, we do need to find out what exactly happened. So, and also we understand the person uh, that brought these things up has their own motive, but at the same time, you know, we, in access to information is, uh, South Africa can't keep any secrets. Uh, There's no, there's not even, not even the SSA can keep secrets. So the fact that we're hearing about this is not a surprise, but what we should know is that, uh, I'm not sure if it's in the next coming coming weeks or so, that the, the, the final thing, state capture report is coming out and that's going to be quite interesting for everybody. So this could be sort of like a way to, to preempt that, if, if I may say that. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right about the politicking. Um, no one's going to disagree about that. Anything you want to add to this, Letiwe? I know it's, it's not really something that you might be as interested in, but this is stuff that affects us all, right? No, I, I think as young people, we're definitely interested in, um, you know, someone once said that all issues in South Africa pertain to young people because our population co- um, constitutes of young people. So such matters do matter to us. And, and I agree with what Zimasa has just said that, um, 
both facts, both points are true, that it can be distraction, but at the same time, we need to know the truth. And so as young people, accountability is key for us. Um, no one is exempt, not even our president. And so we, we are keen to hear the, the truth of the matter and, and see uh, what actions are taken to, you know, to, to address, to really ensure that um, no one, no one kind of, is is given is given a pass for for not doing the right thing. So if if he is found guilty, the truth surfaces and it points to him um, being guilty and needing to take action. Then so be it. Because yeah. as young people, we expect that of him. And Pumi, the media has been giving Cyril free pass for how long now? Can they ignore this? <laughs> Did you see Shapiro's um, cartoon yesterday? Mm. I think yesterday or the day before. No. With Arthur Fraser, Arthur Fraser standing against a very big closet full of skeletons, <laughs> with a big sign that says Arthur Fraser's skeletons, and he's got his back against it, and he's trying to keep those skeletons in the wall, in the in in the closet, and in front of him is a little chest, and he's opened the chest, and it's got a little skeleton crawling out, and he's like shooing it, and in the background over there, far away, Cyril Ramaphosa sitting at his desk, and he's shooing the skeleton to say, go to daddy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It's a fantastic little cartoon, but it it is also, you know, and another way in which we're kind of very subtly giving Cyril a free pass mm-hmm. in that particular well, we, media. You know, we, we right? love we love whataboutism in this country. We we we, we if we like Cyril Absolutely. if we like Cyril like most of the people at News Twenty Four or in most of the media outlets like Cyril, then you make excuses for him. You go, mm, you know, he may have skeletons and he may have uh, all these millions in dollars that are stuck in a safe in his farm in Limpopo. Uh, but but at, at least he doesn't have all of the things that Arthur Fraser has or that Esma Rashula you know, has, a, for example. There's a, a, um, an adage that we use in marketing and advertising about research. Mm. That research is like a lab post. You can use it in one of two ways, mm. as a drunk to steady yourself on it, or you can use it to illuminate around you. And if I were to appropriate that slightly and say this, this information is exactly like that lamppost. We, the people of South Africa, can use it to steady ourselves and like hold on to it and, and be distracted and, and not fall over. Or we can use it as a light to illuminate what's around us and to see more clearly what we are dealing with. I've always said that the problem is not whether the ANC can recalibrate or it, has, it needs the right leader or what. The problem is the organization. It's not the person at the helm. Just to add to to your adage, Pumi, sometimes the drunk leans against the lamppost, sometimes it illuminates things, and sometimes people just pee against the lamppost. So (laughs) we have to decide which one in South Africa we do. So I want to ask our two guests because I think that there are useful things that we can all share that may be able to help those who are either unemployed, who always get the short end of the stick, who always end up in the most – uh, offensive position of all, where nobody really cares about them. Unions don't represent unemployed people. The government doesn't care about them because very often they're the ones who don't go out and vote. Um, employers don't care because clearly they're not employing them. So they have no nobody to represent them in conversations like this. Do either of you know of ways that this cost of living crisis, which is really what we're going through at the moment in South Africa, we know that the petrol price has gone through the roof. We know that ESCOM is upping its rates again. We know that we have 
enormous need in this country and not nearly enough supply um, of all things. Are, are there things that you've picked up in your interactions with people, whether it's in business, in your case, Zimasa, or Litiwe through the organization that you run? Um, can you share with us things that you've learned about what, what people are dealing with and how they're managing to, to actually make it through the day while all of these things seem arraigned against them? Um, I, I think I'll start. I think what's always been very sort of harsh but surprising for, for, for many people to looking into sort of South Africans or the lower rungs of South Africa is how people have survived on such little for so long. Mm. And, and, and that in itself is, is, is crazy. We, we applaud people for like ingenuity and making the most out of nothing. Mm. But I think that that's also just crazy to me. I think what I've noticed is that a lot of people have started, they have started to cut away the really sort of like, and, and, and I mean, they're almost bare bone at the moment, but they started to cut away things that they don't necessarily need. So you realize that, or that not that they don't need, but things that they would deem at their level to be luxuries. So for instance, I, I travel across the country for, uh, for various things. And what I've realized is that something as simple as eating out is relative to which province you're in and how people have started to scale back. Whereas now, uh, because I'm always like close to taxi ranks, etc., I will go in and I'll maybe buy a plate or whatever just to kind of get there and speak to people. I've realized how even the, that mama, that that baba at the at the taxi rank who's selling, they are su- they're under such pressure hmm. because customers have less to spend. They're starting to haggle on really the 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 bare minimum pricing that they've put up, and everyone is saying, "But you understand that, for instance, like." meat has gone up you understand that all these things have gone up so i think there's now a clash of consumer and producer or service provider that's happening that's actually out of their control both of their controls because if this guy it works for a particular business a that's under pressure because that economy or that industry has, has gotten under pressure he doesn't have enough money to pay the workers the workers etc it's such a roll-on effect so i think people don't have a choice but to eventually understand that this is beyond their, their it's beyond their actual tangibility. So, or so you're, their, you're talking about like things people have cut out. What, what about you, Letiwe? I mean, your experience with the people you're speaking to, how do they make it through the day? Honestly, by leaning on each other, um, you know, I've seen young people rally for each other. Um, you know, we, we ran a survey last year. Uh, around the cost of looking for work and 70% of the young people who filled in the survey said that they have to make the choice between bread and buying data, right? And that choice is even more so now as the prices go up. Um, and what I've then seen is, you know, young people saying, okay, I can't make that choice. Um, and so young person stepping in and saying, listen, I will, um, you know, Share, share my data with you. I'll look for you. I'll look for work for you using the data that I have. Um, so I've seen a lot of young people just leaning on each other um, to, to get through the tough times that we're faced with. Sure. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's... Maybe there's a mismatch. What do you mean? Maybe there's a mismatch in this, the, the jobs that people are looking for and the jobs that are available. What are, what are you seeing relative to that? So there's, the, there's then the, there's, um, there's a a desire from young people to then look for 
skill development programs that can provide them the, with the skills that are required in the market. So they do recognize that mismatch. So they're saying, okay, what skills, where can I get, where can I do an online course that allows me to acquire the skills I need that are required in the market? Um, and, and even there, young people have leaned on each other in terms of recommending um, what skill programs they can be a part of. Yeah, um, Michael's bringing us back to order here. He says, I thought we were changing the subject. Well, Michael, I've got bad news for you. We have run out of time. Um, but listen, I, I, would I, love, think, I would love to have both, think, both of you again on the burning platform. I'll let Pumi have the last word. But Simasa and Latua, thank you for your, it, your if contribution. Anything, if, mm. if I've learned anything from this conversation today is that we're still stuck very much in an old way of thinking. We're trying to fit into what currently exists and i think what we need is we need new thinking you need to think differently about the problems that we're facing and we need new people giving us new ideas and and being held up to that instead of trying to fit into what's there instead of trying to get into a program that allows me to become a small-scale farmer as part of a co-op we kind of need to go how do we how do we lose these shackles and think differently about where we are and think honestly about what we have and what we have access to and move from there. That's what I've learned from this discussion. So thank you very much from very nice. Uh, so thank you. you. Thank you to both of our guests. Thank you to you for joining in on the conversation. And I'm sorry we didn't get to all of the comments. There were lots of really, really good comments. I mean, some people mm-hmm. saying straightforward, simple things like Michael saying, for example, the cost of communicating on these things needs to be a big part. If government really wants to make a difference, that's where they can make the difference. But um, yeah. obviously not nearly enough being done in that respect. And I do think South Africans are so resilient. You know, uh, this is something that uh, both of you, Zimasa and Letiwa, you both referred to in, in this conversation. We're so resilient, but I wonder where the breaking point is. Because ultimately, when you have this many young people who are just desperate, they're desperate to find work, they're desperate to find purpose, they're desperate to eke out an existence to just survive through the day. Ultimately, there comes a breaking point where people just look at this and they go, you know what, better to burn it down than to continually be excluded yep. from everything. And we hope mm. that yeah. South Africa doesn't reach that point in a hurry. It's very good of you yeah. to uh, give us some of your time this morning. We will have to pick this up with another one. And I promise you'll both be guests again if you'd like to come on the burning platform. I'd love to be back. Yes, please give us your handles. That's a good oh, idea. Um, mine is uh, across all socials. It's Mushtafa, M-O-O-S-H-T-A-F-F-A. That's across Twitter, Twitter, Instagram. You're the Chelsea fan. Yes. (laughs) I've seen your profile, uh, Zimasa. I'll start following you on Twitter. (laughs) Awesome. What about yours, Latina? And then when I let you in. Um, so I'll start off with Youth Capital. So across all platforms, it's Youth Capital SA, uh, one word. And then on Twitter, I am Sino underscore Umbono. Very good. Thank you both. Very good, everybody. We will see you tomorrow at 6 a.m. bright and early. Have an excellent day in the company of cliffcentral.com. And make sure that you check out all of our podcasts that you haven't already listened to. Cheers. We will see you tomorrow. Cliffcentral.com.